From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, May 19th, 2021, also known as the eve of the 2021 PGA Championship. And for that, from the Golf News Net, we welcome in Ryan Ballinger. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I am fine. Um, as I look at this P uh, PGA Championship, I may have said PJ Magazine before, by the way. I apologize. PJ Championship, folks. I work for PJ Magazine. Um, <laughs> when I look at this and I look at Kiowa, um, I part of me is a shoulder shrug. I'm like, well, we got to see what the wind does. If it dies down, if it's really good in the morning, if it's really bad in the midday, if it dies down at night, or no, what if it switches? And I feel like more than maybe any other course in the PGA Championship rota of sorts, this championship is going to be defined by the wind. Am I on to something? I, th I think it could be. I think it probably will be. Uh, but it might not entirely be. I think the biggest thing that people are going to notice, obviously, is the scorecard length. 78-76, which makes it the longest scorecard length major championship venue in history. It's 200 yards longer than it was nine years ago. And so now it's past Aaron Hills, which was number one for the 2017 U.S. Open. And that was supposedly going to play around 8,000 yards and never quite got there. Um, I, I think that's the thing that's going to stand out to people first and foremost. Then it's going to be, wait, they play 10 of these holes into the wind? And then that's going to be where it kind of it, it, it's going to play a major factor because of the way the course is routed regardless of the wind direction because the way Pete and Alice Dye routed this course to keep 10 holes along the ocean was to do a figure 8 like they do a classical link style design overseas so no matter what you've got about half the holes into the wind and you've got about half the holes downwind and if you have it the way that it's traditionally played and the way it seems to be playing right now basically the last six holes are all into the wind and they're all just monster hard holes yes. that's, where, that's where as it is before you even get to the actual scorecard length they are monster difficult golf holes so if they're playing into the wind and you have long hitters like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy thinking about hitting five iron, four iron, three iron as approach shots into these massive par fours. And you've got guys like Zach Johnson thinking about taking three wood in there. Um, yeah, then wind's going to define this thing. I think going the other way, if for whatever reason the wind shifts, the course, that'll be the day to get the course. Because if you can play all of those really nasty long holes with the help of the wind, you got a chance. Uh, this course is scorable. It is playable. But... If you're fighting the wind, your dispersion increases. You just spread out the possible landing spot for your ball a whole lot more than if you're playing downwind. And so if this is the prevailing wind, which, it, again, seems like it might be, but I, I'm going to pull up the weather forecast here in a little bit, get an update. But I, I think, yeah, ultimately, combined with the length, wind has to define the championship. 
You know, it's it's funny, Ryan. We always have these conversations, and at the end of the chat, we always say who you know who has no shot. And I feel like we should do this like two minutes into the podcast, which is I can't see, see Zach Johnson winning. Love you, Zach Johnson, but I just can't see him winning. What, what's fascinating about this is you look at a hole like 17, and you're having some of the longest hitters in the game having problems getting there. And all these water balls, I mean, look, whoever dives for water balls at, at Kia was kind of a field day um, at 17 at some point. And for me, I, I have, this is a feeling of a U.S. Open, like Oakmont or Wingfoot, not, you know, let's take Bryce Nat, um, you know, from this conversation for a second, where... During the week, we have all these conversations, and it seems like this impossible thing, and it's going to play impossibly hard, and it's going to be just brutal. And then come Thursday, Friday, we see a whole bunch of birdies and eagles, and it's like, huh, okay, these guys are not, you know, these these guys are actually good. When, in fact, if you dive into the reasoning why, it's that they're not playing it at 78-76. And Kerry Haig said yesterday... That's just a number because of the wind gives us a lot of flexibility. We can do a lot of things. And you saw probably, and, and I think a lot of the folks out there probably saw what the PJ of America put in the player's locker room, which is that you should practice from every tee um, except on four holes, uh, both front and back. So there's, there, there is a lot of flexibility there. I come from the school of thinking this is going to play like a quail hollow type. Uh, of course, uh, for for the PGA Tour or, or, or like Riviera plays, where they're going to set it up and Mother Nature's going to dictate it. And however it turns out, it's something like 8, 7, or 600 is going to win this thing. I don't think it's going to be carnage. I don't think it's going to be... There will be big numbers, and there and 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 there will be mistakes made. But I actually think this course is going to play easier than the than the doom and gloom. I think a lot of players have been advertising it as, and maybe this is just me being an optimistic person in general. But I actually think this could be a fun week because there is a risk reward element. You 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 look at number three and what players decide to do there. Um, you know, I, I really think that, that this could be an interesting week if the PGA of America and Kerry Hay gets inventive with the setup. And it seems like from that note in the players' locker room that they're willing to be inventive and play with the wind and have some fun and let these guys show off their skills. I think so. I, I, I don't think the, the PGA of America has ever been about trying to embarrass the player. Yeah. With yeah. the notable exception of Beth Page Black where I felt they went out of their way to play into the perception of Beth Page Black with their setup instead of a PGA of America setup of Beth Page Black. Yeah. But this venue is a PGA of America venue. There's been nothing else at this venue. Yes. Uh, there's no USGA events. There's none of that. This is a PGA of America venue. It was created specifically for the Ryder Cup so that loyalty exists. I get that. So I think... Carrie Haig said it. Yes, we are not going to play this golf course. It's 78, 76. If the wind lets them, they'll probably get within 30 yards of that, um, or at least 7,800 yards on the button, you know, 7,801 or 77.99 or something. Enough that they'll overtake the, the scorecard for the longest day of Aaron Hills because that's all an arms race. <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, there are enough holes on this golf course, and, again, with the way that it's routed, you can play this course 
Jekyll and Hyde style in terms of setup, where for nine or ten holes, uh, it's really eight or ten holes depending on the way it goes, but for eight or ten holes, you get to either have a lot of fun or you are really hurting, and it's really a challenge. And so, depending on the wind direction, determines what those holes are. Whether you get them um, the early, port, you know, the first five or six holes, and then you kind of make the turn, you're like, all right, now it's bad for three, and then you start to turn back, you're like, okay, it's good for three more, four more, and then it's bad for six. You know, it, it just depends. But I, I don't think the PGA of America is going to go out of their way to make this place impossible. Um, they're, they're just not going to do it. It's hard enough on its own. They don't need to do anything special lengthwise to make these guys suffer. Ryan Boundy with us uh, from um, Golf News Net. I forgot what your affiliation was there for half a second. Um, I was on the CBS conference call last week, and I asked Jim Nance and, and Dottie Pepper this question, and I thought the response was interesting. I said, if you look at two of the biggest crowds we've had in 2021, um, and that would be the players and that would be Quail Hollow, um, and it would be Rory and JT who came out the winners. And I said, you know, my, my thesis is is that they feed off the crowds and they, you know, you know they, they use that energy to their help. And uh, Dottie totally agreed. And Dottie made an interesting uh, point and brought up something that I hadn't considered, which is for the first time in this pandemic, and she has worked every single event since golf returned at uh, Colonial last June, uh, that CBS has done, that for the first time last week, she had to, and whoever else is with her, her fellow on-course producers and, um, and, and on-course reporters, had to plan out when to get to the golf course and when to get in position because they were trying to get around people and they were having trouble navigating the fans. And I thought that was fascinating. And Jim brought up that just being in Charlotte, and he spent a lot of time in that town, he has family connections there, he has friends connections there, that that was the most normal he felt all year. And I just wonder, Ryan, if we're turning the corner, we get Spieth back in the winner's circle, we get Rory, we get JT, you know, DJ's hurting, Brooks is hurting, but I wonder if this is going to be another fan favorite this week. I, I, I wonder if it's going to be a... Xander type player or a John Rahm type player or a Sergio type player and John Rahm obviously won last year at Jack's place in an event that is you know on a golf course that's built for him but I just wonder if we're getting back towards these bigger names being able to feed off that energy more look we've had great golf since the return um, happened and almost every big name you would expect out there has has come out of champion somewhere but I just wonder if somebody is about to win a string of these things maybe I mean I, I feel like we've had such a diversity of winners we really have a really wide diversity of winners particularly in 2021 I, mean, I realized there was the stretch where John Rahm was the guy and then Dustin Johnson was the guy and now I mean it feels like all kinds of players are capable of winning right now some we know some we don't some, some haven't won in a while Spieth, uh, Matsuyama come to mind. You're the comeback. Um, and then some guys that have been kind of predestined for this, like Sam Burns, who all of a sudden is one of the best players. Victor Hoffland, T3 in his last two starts, seems to be putting something together. Um, 
I think it's really hard to kind of say with any degree of confidence what's coming next. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to bet this week, and it's really hard to try to identify a winner just because, one, obviously we talked about course issues, but two, there are just so many players out there who are either kind of off their historic norms, like McElroy, who could just figure it out and win. There are players who were starting to get to know their norms, like Morikawa and Hovland, who could do it. There are guys who probably should have done it by now, like uh, Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantlay, who's played horrifically the last month and a half. And, and, and Tony Finau comes to mind. Tony Finau. Not um, category. A, a guy who should have done it then actually did it in Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. So but I, I don't really know if we're setting ourselves up for another mini era here. I feel like we're setting ourselves up for a year of six different major champions in this season and just go, okay, well, who's the, who will eventually notch a second? And I, I think the thing, the, the Rory McIlroy jab the other day, Justin Thomas's question about winning multiple majors, <laughs> I think is very accurate. We are right now locked in an era where it is really hard to win a second major because there are a lot of people banging on the door to get their first. Uh, th- this is very inside baseball, but for anybody who watched the Paynes Valley Cup, uh, if Rory's if uh, JT's about if Rory's about to hitch a ride on JT's plane next time, I think he may have to pay up after Rory's <laughs> swipe at him. Um, and for those of you who didn't watch the Paynes Valley Cup, go find it. Uh, it was fun fodder between Rory and JT. Um, and, and, you know, the PGA Tour will be very happy, uh, Ryan, with you mentioning that we are a part of the super season, this wraparound FedEx Cup season, where Bryson DeChambeau leads the FedEx Cup point standings over Justin Thomas, followed by Victor Hovland, Xander Shoffley, and Sam Burns. That is your FedEx Cup update. Have I done it well enough, Ryan? I mean, just look at, I mean, I don't generally pay attention <laughs> to FedEx Cup standings. But I do watch at the end of each tournament where they flash it for a hot second because I'm watching the end of the tournament. And I, I looked at it after uh, Kyungyun Lee won yeah. at, uh, the, at the Nelson. Like, who are these people in the top ten? Like, none of, none of it really made sense except speech uh, and DJ. And everyone else like, how, how did this happen? Um, yes, it, it, it's a very weird top ten right now. Right now, top <clears throat> Top 10 in the FedEx Cup point standings is Bryson, JT, Hovland, Shoffley, Burns, Cam Smith, Stuart Sink, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, Hideki Matsuyama. Um, like I, I defy you to tell me at the beginning of calendar 2021, even if you knew the top 10 going into 2021, how many people would have gotten half of that list right yeah. at this point in the year. It's, and a lot of it's consistency. The only player in the top um, in the top 10 with multiple wins is Bryson. But this is the number of top 10 finishes that those in the top 10 have. 6, 5, 6, 6, 6, 6, 6, 3, 7, 4, 2. <laughs> you get top 10s and you're going to move yourself up. So uh, that's the story of that one uh, as, uh, in terms of the FedEx Cup point standings. Um, anyway, um, when we um, talk about this week and talk about guys that, that can win, uh, obviously you have to flight your golf ball. 
you have to be able to putt your golf ball, you got to be able to chip your golf ball. And then there's the guys who think they can win. And and this is the whole Brooks Koepka, you know, theory about subsets. In my book, Ryan, as we look at the scenario um, of who can win, I, I, I just wonder about two guys, Xander and Finau. Finau has been lurking, 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 lurking in so many events, regular and major, and Xander puts himself there every single event, and when he needs to dig it out of the dirt, he does. Uh, you know, at night, into the wee hours, trying to get his game ready. Is this the week for either of those guys, do you think? Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like when I, when I think about Zant, I, my preconceived notion for going into 2021 was Xander Shoffley will win the U.S. Open. So part of me thinks, well, the storyline just has to write itself. He will fail here and then win in California. But I also know that if you're thinking about the four majors, the, the two you think about Xander most likely winning the soonest are the Masters and the U.S. Open. So I'm kind of biased against the idea that Xander is going to suddenly win a U.S. Open, but I mean, he just shows up at all these hard courses, and because he is really consistent, he, he can contend and maybe even think about winning. I wonder how much what happened on 16 and Augusta National will stick in his mind. Does that matter to him, or does he have one shot or two from all of the half dozen majors he's nearly won where he's like, ah, that was the one that got away. And from being a golfer, that would be my inclination, that he does have a couple of those in his memory bank where he goes, ah, that was it. That was the one that stopped me from winning this particular one. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Xander's probably the better thought this week, just because he shows up so frequently, and eventually, I think, he's going to get at least one of these. Yeah, I I am with you 100%. Um, I have two long shots, and I need to know if I'm crazy. So, uh, it is time, if, if you're game for it, it is time for, is Jeremy crazy? Are you ready? Sure. Um, long shots. Long shots, I think, may, may uh, play well this week. There are two players that have been playing really well that not many people know about because they do not play in the United States of America frequently. And that is John Catlin and that is Garrick Higo. Garrick Higo may be the hottest player in the world right now. He has, what, two wins in his last three starts, I believe? Overseas, um, I mean, the dude is just surging. Nobody's really paying attention to the European Tour right now. I don't blame them. Uh, field strength is not great over there. Yet, and we talk about this all the time, winning is winning. And when uh, it was somebody, I forget if it was Tiger or if it was Spieth, who said, hey, I, you know, whether I win, you know, a mini golf contest or if I win, you know, um, you know, an actual tour event wins a win, and I'll take anything. Um, he's 51st in the world right now. He's won two out of his last three starts, and the one he didn't win was a tie for eighth. And am I on to something with those two guys being good long shot picks? Potentially, I mean, I think the caveat to Catlin or Higo, for that matter. I mean, Catlin has been winning 
over a broader stretch of time, right? So he won at Valderrama in really nasty conditions. That's one reason to like him. He's won three times, and I believe his last 15 or 16 European Tour starts. Uh, that's another reason to like him. Uh, he played well last week at the Nelson for a guy who has not played on American soil much this year. Uh, that's another reason to like him. For Higo, I think you have to kind of take his two out of three from the, the stretch in the Canary Islands, not with a grain of salt, but you have to think about the context of it. Because they played against really weak fields, and they played effectively Canadian tour golf, where 25 under had, was the winning score. Like You had to get to the European tour all-time scoring record, which Higo set in one of his wins, and then almost broke in the next one to win the tournament. That's obviously not the golf they're playing this week, right? Right. So that's, that's one concern. But, yes, like you said, winning counts for stuff. Winning means something. And it's not to say that they didn't play in somewhat challenging conditions some of the time in the Canaries. They did. So that means him and Catlin do have some recent level of exposure to windy golf. So I, I don't think you can discount that entirely. But I think between the two, I probably would look at Catlin more than I would look at Higo because of just the manner in which uh, he's had to win his two starts versus Wick. There's a variety of nasty conditions between Valderrama and the Austrian Open in which Catlin won, where it was gross and cold and windy. I'm going to take that guy. Makes sense. Makes complete sense to me. All right, we got about five minutes, um, so let's just roll through this. Who do you like this week, Ryan? Um, and who are you watching kind of coming up from the rear? Um, I really like... Fina this week. I also like Xander. Higo is my long shot, and in terms of more realistic long shots, how can you not like what Willie Z is doing? He's playing with house money um, right now, and all, all goes out, Taurus. Who's on your list? Okay, uh, I'm going to be driving over state lines later on this afternoon to uh, actually legally bet on some of these names, but I think my... Some of my you. guys this week. Well, I, I do, it's become a ritual until Maryland gets its act together. They just signed sports betting into law, but it won't be fully functional until probably the fall. So we'll have to do this for a few more months. But uh, I really like Victor Hovland this week. T3 in his last two starts. He under, I think he understands how to play pretty well in the wind, and he's long enough to be able to do all of this. Daniel Berger is getting relatively little love. He's 30-1. to 1. He's been in the top 15 in two of the last three PGA championships, playing pretty well. Uh, he seems to kind of thrive in these types of situations. And he's so under the radar that he could almost be offended by it in a way that might motivate him. A um, couple longer shots that I like. Uh, Zalatoris, I, I wholeheartedly support. All about Zalatoris. I wonder if Joaquin Neiman's going to be good this week because of his low ball play. Mm. I think that can help him a lot, in the, almost in the opposite way that Bryson DeChambeau's launch angle should really make this a pain in the butt for him this week. Um, the other guy, the, the long shot that I thought about that's going to get no love, and he's really deep now. I have him at 150-1. to one. He's 200-1 to one here. Cam Champ. I know he is not the most accurate driver of the golf ball. I got that. But he hits it low, and it runs really far. Yep. And if, to keep it in play, 
gives himself a really good chance. And I think he can do that. I mean, he did really well in his Masters debut. Final round was not so great, but did well overall in his Masters debut. He seems to win from out of nowhere. There, there's no trend line where it goes like, well, Cam Champ's going to win this week. He's been doing all this stuff. He just kind of wins out of nowhere. So I feel like this could be that kind of venue where you know, maybe someone stumbles on the final day that's got a better pedigree, but I think Cameron Champ's the guy to look at this week. I like it. Ryan, I really appreciate you doing this on on uh, on, on short notice and kind of and, and, and squeezing this into both of our schedules. Um, thanks, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up, and I really like that Cam Champ pick. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully it all uh, pays off pretty nicely. Come yes, soon. yes. Enjoy that drive over state lines. Um, I will. <laughs> he's Ryan Ballinger. I'm Jeremy Schilling. Thank you for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Much appreciated. Much appreciated.